Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who have great personalities Mark, Matt, and Shannon. On today's show, we're doing another single topic episode, and today's topic is woodworking accuracy and precision. But before we get to all that, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash woodtalk. And by Festool, helping woodworkers get better results in less time and with less mess to clean up afterwards. Visit them online at festoolusa.com. All right, so uh, accuracy and precision. Now, this is a topic that was spurred on by Shannon. He, I guess, had a couple of emails that were talking about how accurate do things need to be, how much do you really worry about measuring to a particular number, and we thought this would make a great thing for us to just kind of hash out, uh, share ideas back and forth, and discuss how each of us deals with this type of thing. So, Shannon, I don't know if you want to say anything at the outset uh, on the inspiration for this and where, where we want to go. When have I ever not wanted to say something? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Good, because I needed a well, potty break. Let me know when it's back. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it should be kind of clear and say I got one email that was kind of one of those like straw that broke the camel's back. Mm. Um, and I, I mean no disrespect to the emailer. It was just like, man, I have answered this so many times. There's a lot of people who are, are kind of struggling with this. So I think we're we're speaking to uh, kind of a sample, a, a wide cross-section of probably specifically the new woodworkers. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was, you hear, I've answered so many of these emails and you can like hear the frustration coming through the computer. Yeah. It's like, what do I do? You know, I measure this and it's wrong and I measure this and it's wrong. And, and I'm, and, you know, my answer is usually something like, whoa, dude, just <laughs> stop measuring, man. Slow down, man. <laughs> Well, there's actually a forum post right now that uh, is odd timing with this that says precision in woodworking, and it's kind of asking the same type of question. And um, so, so ultimately, I think let's compare notes here. Do either of you measure to like really, really high levels and really depend on those numbers? Or is, I mean, obviously there's some times where you have to measure very carefully and cut to a line, but in general... As a general woodworker, do you measure and cut to lines very often, or do you have some other methodology that you use so you take that variable out? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of, usually for me, I might start out with a, a single component that almost kind of acts as the, like the, the foundation for yeah. how everything else is going to lay out. So maybe that first one, I might almost spend eh, a pinch of time to try and make sure that it's as close to the dimension that I was shooting for in the first place. Yeah. But do you ever have like those weird dimensions where it's like, you know, three thirty seconds of an inch or something like that? I, I don't work in those. I'm just like, eh, I'm going to get it to the closest big number yeah so that so basically i mean most pieces of furniture ultimately you're making a dresser a desk a table do these things really need to be any particular number i mean they've probably got to be close to what you want obviously but if you're a 64th or a 32nd or an eighth of an inch off is that really going to impact the piece and unless it's a built-in probably not right so right so ultimately that's supposed to be the beauty of kind of like customizing these things is they aren't necessarily they aren't they don't have to stay to a, a particular uh size you can you can make it customized for what you need and if, 
I think one of the, the great things about being able to do this stuff in my shop is that I don't have to struggle with like those specific dimensions. I can be like, you know what, this this size works perfect for me and I don't have to break out these calipers and, and go to town on it. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, and, you know, I've kind of gone off the, um, <clears throat> the George Walker deep end a little bit lately because mm. it actually works. The whole kind of whole number proportion thing. Oh, yeah. So when I'm starting out on a, on a piece, say, uh, you know, it's a bedside table. Well, the one dimension that I know is it needs to be about the height of the bed. Um, and that generally falls around 29 to, th- you know, 30 inches. Um, but if you don't know, just kind of go lay in the bed and go, what would be a good good height for me to reach over <laughs> and smack that alarm clock? Right. And that's the dimension you know. And then, you know, okay, well, I start playing with proportions. And and that's, you know, I'm doing a two to three cube or, or not a cube. It's obviously not a cube. It's two to three. I'm doing a two to three rectangle. And you kind of base everything from there. And even then, that that dimension, whatever it is, the height of that table, I may not even know what that is. It's just X. Just put it that way. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, of course, that's where you end up having to, like, start writing things down like story sticks and stuff like that. But. Right. Well, you know, a great example of that also is not only George Walker, but Jim Tolpin. I mean, Shannon and I, you, you and I sat together in that class in, in Chicago and oh, he's yeah. like, yeah, I made this, uh, this bench and it was about, oh, about that big. And he held up like two hands with his like pinky right. sticking out two and his thumbs wide. touching each other. Yeah. <laughs> now let me ask you guys, if, if you could make furniture to just a, a really high degree of accuracy, just cutting your parts, let's think like CNC accurate if you could do that and you had this cut list, you could, and we've talked about cut lists in the past, you could make all of your parts and you know your parts will fit together. Be- why? Because you know that these things are cut to the dimensions listed and, and that's what you drew on paper and it works. So if you can do that, that'd be great. But why don't we do that? What is, what is wrong with the measuring process that we employ in the shop that makes that a dangerous thing to do? Go, Matt. Okay, I, I, to me, the first thing I think of is the machine setup, and I think I think of that because I'm the one person that goes through and does the least amount of machine maintenance. Mm-hmm. So I have no idea how much runout my blades have on any of any my tools. I do you know, I what? <laughs> I don't do any machine maintenance. Yeah, I mean, it's just like I, I maybe knock off a little rust. That's about it. But I mean, I don't go through and I don't I don't set these things up so. For me, the biggest danger would be assuming that coming in and trying to do these particular cuts and stuff that everything's everything is just going to naturally be thrown off. So mm. it's almost like I, I would be doing the biggest disservice to myself coming in and doing something like that. All right. So machines aren't a problem for you, Shannon. What's wrong with measuring in your world? Well, wood moves all the time. <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> well, in my world of, of, of hand tools, uh, especially when it comes to the milling process, not all of my boards are the same thickness. Mm. So even if I know, say I mill them all and I pull out my micrometer and I know that this board is, you know, 25, 30 seconds and this one is 61, 64 and I write all that down, all of those variables – is a recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, and what ends up happening is that tiny little error, that you know, 30-second of an inch error here compounds with six other 30-second or 64th of an inch errors. And then you put the whole thing together and you're off a half inch. Right. Don't. So, yeah, the errors just compound okay. um, constantly. Going back to the the whole thing with the machines, you know how Shannon you said that you, your your thicknesses aren't always the same. One, one machine I think of all the time that I, I – 
I, once in a while I'll think like, oh, I need a digital readout for this or something is my thickness planner. Unless you're going down to the presets on every single time, like <clears throat> you're going to come down to the seventh, eighth or the, or, the, or the three quarter or something. If you ever have to like get that thickness that's somewhere in between, try and come back a few days later and nail that perfectly. You know, <laughs> right. that, that weird one in between. It doesn't happen. You got to so just count well, how many times you turn the handle. <laughs> there you I go. Would ask, I would ask, why would you need to do that? Well, exactly. I mean, honestly, I, uh, would you need to do that? Well, well how about I this? I think in the first you, days that I ever owned the thickness planer, I did that. And then shortly afterwards, I'm like, I don't need to do this anymore. Well, I can think of a couple reasons, too. You messed up a part and you need to make another one and everything else is already there. And the second one is a lot of times I forget that, oh, it would have been nice to make an extra one of these so I can check my setup on maybe a tenon, you know, to make a tenon. Right. So I'd love to have the exact same thickness board that's sacrificial now. Um, those are two reasons I might go back to an old setting. Now, I can tell you at the William Ng School, he has this beautiful Felder planer that's digital. And this thing is calibrated perfectly. So if I go there uh, two weeks from now and try to get another three-quarter inch board out of that thing, it will spit out a three-quarter inch board. And that's it's weird because most of us don't have that luxury, but it was really cool <laughs> when I was there. I was like, I like this. <laughs> I'd love Wait, to do that. Cool. Having having that accuracy, though, like how far uh, to the right of the uh, the decimal point does it go? Because I'm the type of person that like if I know that it was like three-quarters and point zero 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 whatever after that, you know, or, or – well, a little bit further past there, if you're going in mm-hmm. complete decimals, uh, I would completely freak out if it was like 0.751. Well, I think the, I, the digital adjustment on this is to the thousandth. And I would say that it goes beyond what any of us would ever need. So even once right. it like gets out of calibration, it's still fine <laughs> for a little while. <laughs> See, it's so interesting, too, because, you know, I'm, I'm thinking taking your example, Mark, where like you screw up a piece and you need another one to mm-hmm. replace it. And I'm thinking kind of downstream, and I still can't find a reason for it. And I guess that comes down to just the, my hand tool approach because I don't have a setup. You know, I'm not yeah. cutting the tenon uh, because I've already got my fence on my table saw set a specific place to take that shoulder cut or the depth of my dado set is already set up to cut that cheek. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, this is a very – I shouldn't say it's foreign because I used to work that way. I just have it in so long. Interesting. Yeah, now uh, back on the measuring thing, uh, I figured I would mention a couple things that that kind of get to me about measuring, and I think it might hang other people up too. Um, just the measuring, marking, and cutting processes themselves are inherently full of error. So especially when you're new, uh, using different sized pencils, you know, the thickness of the pencil lead, uh, where you mark when you say, okay, I'm going to mark this at a half inch. Well, do you mark on the line? And are you marking consistently every time? And then when you cut to that line, are you cutting to the left of the line, the right of the line? Are you splitting the line down the middle? Uh, there's just so many ways that if you're not doing it exactly the same every time and you don't get those marks perfect and consistent, you're just kind of, you know, flying blind a little bit there. Um, eventually, you even when you get to the point, though, like I'm very consistent with what I do, but I can still screw up. It's just human nature with measuring and marking. So the less of that I do, frankly, the better. My work just is better off. Yeah, totally. That, that whole thing with the pencil line, I always think of back when I was in uh, – back in my day when I was in school and I took architectural class and we had to do everything by pencil because we didn't have computers to do things. Mm-hmm. I remember always like the you could – when you were drawing your lines, you could see when your lines started to get fatter because the pencil was starting to wear down a little bit. So you go over to that fancy schmancy little sharpener with the sandpaper 
and clean it up. So right. I, yeah, I can see how that could mess people up. Totally. Well, and, and you think about it, if you say you've got, uh, you know, one tape measure on one side of the shop and another yes. maybe a ruler on the other side of the shop. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let's assume in a perfect world um, that the, the tape measure, 12 inches on that tape measure is the same as 12 inches on that straight ruler, which actually you might be surprised how often it's not mm-hmm. exactly the same. Right. But what about the tick marks on the ruler versus the tape measure? I bet you they're different thicknesses. You know, so if you're thinking, okay, well, I'm marking, I'm going to mark on the left side of that tick mark, and that's going to be my half inch. And then you pull out that ruler and you do the same thing and you end up being off um, because that little tick mark is slightly thinner. Um, yeah, it's nuts. And actually, I think when you move away from pencils and move into knives, you think, okay, well, I'm going to be more accurate now. Well, now that your marking implement is a finer point, now the little tick mark that you're marking to suddenly gets wider. Yeah. If you think about it, you <laughs> right. know, because now you can move that, that knife, that really fine tip knife back and forth, you know, on that tick mark. It's the more you think about it, it's like, man, how do we ever get anything that fits? You're crippled right on the bench. Yeah. All right. So we've, I think, thoroughly crapped on the concept of measuring and marking. So let's not be uh, jerks and let's actually talk about some ways that we do handle these things. And I kind of hurriedly put, put a bunch of stuff here together. So let's just try and go through some of these questions to give you really scenarios and situations on how we might deal with them and how the whole measuring thing works out in that particular situation. Hopefully it'll help you out. Okay, so you're, let, let's just kind of go around. Shannon, you're um, fitting a shelf into a bookcase, all right? So you've got, a, you've got your sides, you probably have your top and bottom cut, and now you want to cut this particular shelf and put it into the two dados that are already cut in the sides. How do you measure and get that shelf cut accurately? All right, so the case is already together, in other words. Yeah, your primary my, my top, s- bottom, left, right parts of your case, they're not glued together, but let's say you've got them dry assembled, the parts are cut. But the spacing is fixed, in other words. Correct, yes. From depth of dado to depth of dado. Yep. All right, um, I would use a, a pinch stick, um, and I just have one of those um, little zigzag ruler things, those mm-hmm. wooden things that all fold up. And on the end, it has that little slider. It's a little brass slider that's inlaid into the middle, and you can set it to you know whatever whatever the length is, and then slide that little brass slider out until you perfectly match the dimension you have. Right. So I'll stick it from dado to dado and slide it in until I get a measurement. And then I'll put that down on my first shelf board. And, you know, usually I'll use a pencil. You know, I'll line it up with just my fingers on one end and then mark it with a pencil on the other end. And I'll saw that off and check the fit. And then it's usually the shooting board to kind of dial it in. And the reason I use the pencil is the pencil invariably, my pencils are never sharp. Mm-hmm. Um, invariably, it leaves a fat line. Yeah. So if I saw and leave that pencil line, I know that I'm going to be long of my pinch stick. So then it's a matter of just, um, you know, dialing it in with my shooting board, which, you know, could be two, three passes. And then I've got exactly the fit that I want. Um, what a, do you want me to talk about subsequent shelves? Uh, no, no, no. I think that's good. Okay. So, so that, yeah, that's so, what I do. Dial so, it in with a shooting board. Okay. So a real important point there is knowing what your pencil line means. So in this case, you've got a physical item that you have made the exact size. You don't know what that number is. It doesn't matter what that number is. You just know the distance between these two points on your little stick there represents exactly the length of the shelf. So when you mark it with a pencil, the pencil is actually adjacent to the end of that board. And I think that's a really key point because when you cut 
ideally your cut is going to have to remove the entire pencil line, right? Because the entire pencil is outside of the area that you want to keep. So I think that's where a lot of people get hung up is not being too careful or not really dissecting the concept of what that pencil line means and and what it's resting against as you draw that pencil line. Right. And I think it's key that, you know, like in my instance, I, I know because I, this is how I do it every single time. Um, it's consistency. If you're going to mark it so that your pencil line, you know, you need to remove the line or leave the line, whatever you decide, Mm -hmm. you should do that every single time. Yeah. So I've just gotten in the habit of marking that my pencil line is, as you just said, it's, it's marking essentially the outer edge of that. Right. So I know in my mind, if I, if I leave that pencil line, I've got some trimming to do. If I split the pencil line, I may have some trimming to do, but mm-hmm. depending upon the thickness of the pencil line, I could be screwed or I could have some trimming to do. Right. So I always leave the pencil line because I know that if I leave it, I'm I'm wider than my, my dimension. Okay. All right, Matt, if you are cutting four table legs and uh, well, first of all, how do you cut four table legs routinely uh, to equal length? And then when you butt them all up against each other and you feel them kind of with your hands and just confirm they're all the same and you find out that they're not, they're just slightly off, what do you do about that? Okay, so uh, the first part of it, how do I cut them to length? Typically, this is uh, depending on the size. Usually, I'll do this over at my table saw using my crosscut sled. And the first thing I do, regardless of how long they are right now, is I always square off one end first. And I do this with all, let's say four legs. Well, you did say four legs. We'll do all four legs first, square off that first end. And then what I'll end up doing is I will set up, say, a stop lock, some sort of measurement, some sort of uh, landmark for me to then take that end that I just squared up, flip it end for end, and now butt that up against my stop lock, my my landmark, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And then I'll then proceed to go through and now cut all four to that equal length. I, in the early days, I used to make the mistake of trying to cut each individual leg to the uh, the length that I wanted. You know, so I'd do one first, do both ends, and then come back, do the next one. And then that's when I typically ran into that, oh, one's off just enough <laughs> to make everything wobbly. <laughs> right. So you're squaring off one end of each leg first. Then right. you set up your stop block and you're batching all four of them out at once. Exactly. Which end? Uh, whichever end uh, f- suits my fancy at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so stop locks. There's another major, major thing. I remember watching Woodworks years ago. Oh, totally. The and, master of the stop block. Right? And to see the things that David would come up with that you go, wow, a stop block. That's just so simple. And for, for getting consistent results, you just can't beat it. So especially combined with the either like a miter saw, if you've got a nice long fence, use stop locks there, a miter sled, and a crosscut sled. Great things to use stop locks with. Exactly. Cool. Yep. It works on a bench hook too, things. by the way. There you, you yeah, bench actually, hook. I've actually done it with a bench hook where, um, you know, I will, in my case, I'm left-handed, so I'm sawing to the left side of, of the fence on my bench hook. Mm. And if you push the saw flush up against the, the fence, that kind of helps you make a square cut. Right. Well, that also is kind of your zero point. Um, on on the fence, if you clamp a block like somewhere downstream on your workbench, you can and essentially clamp your bench hook in place. You have the same setup. That way, you're butting the leg up against it, and you know that if you press the saw against the cleat, you can do the same thing. Gotcha. Very cool. All right. So someone mentioned story sticks. Let's talk about that real quick. Uh, story stick is sort of your classic way 
of marking events in a situation. I'll give you an example. I had to do an install of like a faux front to this um, set of cubbies. It was like an entertainment center that was built into the house, but it was all drywall and a bunch of holes in the wall. They wanted it to look like it was a cabinet. So I had to basically build this frame out of plywood, frame it out, put doors on it. And I had to get this all sized perfectly, but I I don't live there. So I need to get some sort of uh, representation of all the start and stop points of the cubbies. And sure, I could have taken a tape measure out and written all the numbers down, but what a mess that would have been. And I probably would have gotten it totally wrong, uh, screwed up a number and botched the job. So instead, I just took two eight foot long strips of material, got a Sharpie out. And yes, it was a Sharpie because we're talking about drywall bullnose molding. So I I really kind of just need to get close. Um, And I put all the markings of the horizontal dimension and then did one vertically and I had everything I needed just with these little tick marks for this entire project to tell me where the event points were. So we can use this in our woodworking and building projects as well uh, if you're talking about maybe spacing of drawers in a chest of drawers. Um, There's a lot of different things where you can do this. Um, How about like multiple mortises on one workpiece? And you have to do that on four legs. Maybe you have top and bottom aprons or something, and you can use that story stick on multiple pieces. Um, Do you guys often incorporate story sticks, or do you kind of just rely on on measuring on each piece? I've used story sticks quite a few times. I know they've been in various videos. I I really like using them because of the fact that I can come back and just lay things out with almost not even thinking about it. I don't have to break out any measuring tools. I just simply grab the stick and... Oh, there it is from this point to this point. I'm all set. Right. Yeah. You know, I remember I used to think, okay, the story stick was a great idea if I was going to make this piece of furniture again. And it, and it certainly is. You know, it's a record and you can easily reproduce that piece of furniture, you know, seven, eight times down the road. Sure. And I, I remember thinking, ah, I don't need to do that because I don't really like building the same piece over and over again. I've done it, but I'd much rather move on to something. And then it was, um, and then I realized, oh, wait. There are four legs on this piece. So actually that measurement that I need, I I may think I'm only doing it once because I'm only building that one table, but I actually need it four times because that that layout on that leg happens four different times. Um, And then the other one, Mark, you just brought it up a second ago. Anytime you have to like leave your shop in order to measure something – um, you will die if you try to like write down all those measurements. Oh um, I, yes. I ran into this when I had to build those columbariums in the basement of that church. Um, and actually that worked out really well because it turns out I'm going to have to build six more over the next probably year or so. Um, well now I have a story stick. Not only did I capture everything when I was down there in the dark so that I knew exactly where <laughs> everything needed to be and how big the, the, the aprons and, and everything was. Now I actually can, can go ahead and cut everything because the cool thing is is the the columbarium itself that I was building the case around that doesn't change well until the manufacturer changes it I suppose <laughs> but <laughs> you watch it's gonna happen now but yeah so I was very quick to to poo poo the story stick thinking oh I'm not gonna reproduce any furniture but yeah it's it's awesome cool all right now we got an email here from Bill and I thought it was relevant to the topic so um, we'll kind of head into the end of this with uh, Bill's email. So my first table saw homemade and my second saw tabletop model didn't have any measurements and I had to clamp both ends of the fence. Because of this, I always measure the distance from the blade tooth to the fence with a ruler, not a tape measure, or better yet, use a pre-cut piece that has been marked. I guess there's the story stick coming in. 
Uh, years ago, I acquired the ruler part of a combination square and its home is on the table saw fence. So he's asking survey style. Do you as a woodworker use the measurement feature on your table saw fence? Now, I thought this was a really good question because mm. the more I think about it, I really don't. I mean, I might use my table saw fence measurement just to go, all right, I need this to be about two inches. I'll get it there. And then I'll grab my adjustable square and measure with a ruler and make sure from the tooth to the fence that it's dead on. Uh, my circular saw, my router, just about any of my power tools, I completely ignore uh, those measurement tapes that are on there. Um, now, Shannon, I don't know, you don't, you, you don't really rely on this stuff anymore, but uh, when you were, did you use a lot of uh, the, the tape measures or did you just ignore them? I ended up, I started, started doing it. And it was funny because over time I discovered that my, uh, the tape on my uh, table saw fence was, um, I want to say it was like a 32nd of an inch actually narrower mm. than, than reality. Now, again, what is reality? Um, it was when I, when I took a tape measure, I cut the board and then I took another tape measure and held it up to it. And it was a 32nd of an inch narrower than what the tape measure said. So, I, I remember specifically uh, using the tape, but knowing in my mind, I need to bump this out a 32nd of an inch so to get the right measurement. And then suddenly I just kind of stepped back. I had this like out of body experience. I realized just how stupid I was being. <laughs> I was actually like consciously moving the fence over a 32nd of an inch because I knew that it was shy a 32nd of an inch. It's just dumb. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Downright dumb. Well, how about you, Matt? Do you rely on them at all? Uh, um, Right now, actually, I, I do have my fence dialed in uh, with the blade, but I have noticed that when I when I've switched blades, because when I did all those um, setting off the brakes on the saw stop, I ended up going through a few different blades, and it turned out they were different sizes. Mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. since then, um, I have taken the time to get it set up so that it I know exactly how far it is off to you know from the blade itself. But uh, typically, though, I actually over time I'll end up doing kind of like what you described where I'll put it on and then I'll use say a uh, combination square to come in and dial in for the actual size that I need versus relying on it. So for right now I do later on, I won't. <laughs> well, you know, I think it really just comes down to that reliability. I mean, if you yeah. have the, the Felder planer with the digital readout, well, it's nice to know that I could just hit that number and boom, it's done. Uh, right. If you have like an Incra set up on your table saw or your router, you could probably count on that being pretty damn accurate. So, um, but if you've just got your average table saw fence where the little gauge can be knocked out of, uh, you know, out of whack, or possibly you put a different blade in and now your measurements are all off. Like you just said, Matt, um, you know, everything's up in the air for that. So you just kind of always want to double check yourself. And if I'm double checking, I may as well just use that and exactly. not really, not really yeah, worry about I think, it. I think that may be one of those things where if you have that, mm -hmm. it's amazing how much you do rely upon measurements. Yeah. yeah. But like, like you were saying earlier with, in the William Ming example, many of us, most of us, greater than probably 95% of us don't have that. And we've grown to doubt the measurements on things. So yep, yep. you just don't oh, do it. I, I think um, even now after I make a cut, I find myself going back like two or three times. Like, you know, just to, I would say it's OCD, but I think it's just simply because of the fact I've gotten burned in the past so many times. Right. In the butt. It's almost a habit. You know, yes. I run a board to the table saw and then I'd hit it with a tape measure. And yeah. when you think about it, it's like, well, why did you just do that? You know, there's measurements right there on the table saw. Right. Yeah, <laughs> totally. You just don't trust it. Well, um, I think Mark, um, Matt, I think Mark's trying to kind of do a McLaughlin group thing here and just pepper us with questions and try to get off easy. So I'm not going to let him escape 
Because Good, I, actually, I, was, I was just thinking that too. I just like to say, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. See, Mark's, well, how would you measure this? And how would you measure this? And, you know, personally, I'm just trying I to think, get through the show. I think Mark <laughs> is probably thinking. one of the most accurate of the three of us. I don't know why I think that. Maybe just because his stuff looks really nice, but I, I just get the feeling I use a lot he's of wood a little filler. bit more accurate than the rest of us. So I want to know um, how Mark would cut a table apron to a very particular measurement. Well, for me, table apron, you're talking about a pretty long piece, right? Um, in the ideal world, I would probably use a really fine-tuned miter saw. So like when I get a chance to actually build my miter station in the new shop, I will have a nice long fence to support long work pieces and have a series of stops, movable, movable stops, and a good blade on the miter saw. And to me, very similar to what, to what Matt was describing with his crosscut sled for legs on a table, I would do the same thing. I would just need that extra length. Now, if I don't have that, which I really don't right now, my miter saw doesn't have that kind of extra capacity, I would do what I would call like the Franken-sled methodology where I would actually attach a longer fence to my crosscut sled and put the stop on that. And this way, even if it's like six feet out, it's really not that big of a deal. I could just clamp a stop lock and really sorry about these planes, guys. It's crazy. <laughs> I should probably close the window, shouldn't I? <laughs> I was going to say, that one's really, really loud. Yeah, they've got... He really wants to find out what your opinion is on this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so for me, it, it really does... You got to extend the fence. Um, so if you have a short fence on a crosscut sled... I just get a, a jointed milled piece of wood or a piece of plywood or something that allows me to extend it out further, put the stop lock on the end of that and make my cut. Now, ideally where I want to get with something like this is because even then there might be little things. Maybe it's um, uh, cut little wood fibers or, or something with the, the way you're holding the workpiece. You still might not get them perfect. And then you line them up and you go, well, crap, they're just slightly off. So do I risk going back to the tool and taking another pass or come up with something else? And this is where the classic methodology just works better. Uh, and that's where you would want to use like a shooting board because you can take off just a thousandth uh, here and there. Hybrid and woodworking. I exactly. See. Yes. And sneak up on, out on that somewhere. So I've heard. So I've heard. Um, so, yeah, that's how I uh, how I would handle that. Well, this is a good time to jump in and tell you about one of our sponsors, Audible. Audible.com is the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash woodtalk. And I should mention right now, I am reading a classic. It's A Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula K. Le Guin. And this was published in 1968. So as a fantasy reader myself, I'm always going back and filling in all those gaps in uh, in my reading that I just haven't caught up on. So this this is the kind of thing that allows me to just read through a book very quickly. It took me only a couple of days just to get through part one, listening in my spare time, driving around, running errands in the shop, all that good stuff. So uh, that's my recommendation for this week. And thanks to Audible for playing along with us. That's audible.com or audiblepodcast.com slash woodtalk for your free audio book. Um, all right, so let's let's wrap it up because we're uh, going to try and record another show on the same day, if you can believe it. Uh, just a couple parting tips, and feel free to add to this, guys, because I just kind of wrote this up ahead of time. Um, first of all, identify your critical, your non-critical, and your relative dimension parts, meaning what needs to be measured accurately, what doesn't need to be accurate, like, for instance, a tabletop, if it's slightly off, who cares? 
Um, and what parts are relative dimensioned, meaning they will only get cut after existing parts are in place. You identify those things and you'll have a much easier time knowing what to measure and when. Uh, and also, I think it's critical to use your terminology to recognize that you're going to have a hard time when you really think about it to actually identify what is a critical dimension. Mm-hmm. I think what's more important is that they are the same dimension. Yeah. Um, and if if we can get that across to some of the newbies that who cares if it's 36 inches or 34 inches um, to keep with the table apron thing, as long as both long aprons are 34 inches, yep, who yep. cares? So it's know? an issue of the difference between accuracy and precision, where the accuracy is not nearly as important as the fact that your precision is right on each of your pieces are the same. Yes. Okay. Cut parts to fit when possible. This is the relative dimensioning thing. You've got to fit something between two other things. Well, cut it a little oversized and then sneak up on it. Shooting board is a great way to do that. Um, use stop locks. We talked about that. Uh, use hand tools for finessing and taking small bites. And when you do measure and mark, be consistent with your measuring tool, how you mark, and where you cut. And then, of course, use story sticks whenever possible. Right. You know, I, I think that the consistency thing, especially with the measuring and marking, is so uber important. A lot of people, especially new new woodworkers, uh, they'll they'll get a new tool, they'll come in, and you'll be amazed at how, like we were talking about with the tape measures or uh, your your rulers, how different they are from each other, mm-hmm. and especially the markings and stuff like that. So having consistency and using the one that you're comfortable with, the one that you know has worked in the past, or that you have been able to reference off really well is something very, very important because let's get serious. When a new tool comes out, I mean, how many times have we seen things, especially like say from like a, from woodpecker or something where everybody's like, I've got to get it. They're only making so many. (laughs) The one time tool. (laughs) Yeah. And you keep adding these things to your, your arsenal. And it's funny how you keep going from one to the other to the other. And you'll probably notice, I don't care how consistent they say they are. There probably is some variation in there and that's the variation that's going to bite you later on down the road. Right. right. Well, I've run into that with guys who are milling things by hand and they, it's like, I just can't get this flat. I can't get this flat. I, you know, use the sole of my plane, like Schwartz talks about. And, you know, it just it didn't flat. So I wanted to double check it. So I grabbed my precision Lee Valley straight edge and it wasn't right. And then the next time I use the wooden straight edge and it's like, well, are all those exactly the same straightness? <laughs> you know, and it, it can really bite you, and you'd be surprised. Um, well, first of all, when it comes to flattening a panel, you know, doesn't have to be that flat to begin with. So just relax. But yeah, changing straight edges is amazing how much um, difference you'll see from one to the next. Yeah. yeah, and you know what? Also, just build a lot of projects because the more you build, the more you start to realize what's important, what's not. And what you can gloss over, I think, frankly, experience is is one of the best things. And I know as a beginning woodworker, that's the one thing you don't have. But keep building because eventually you'll get there and and this stuff will become second nature. Um, You only make you only make those really, really bad mistakes like four or five times. (laughs) That's right. And you finally learn. (laughs) You learn finally. (laughs) All right. So if you want to leave us an iTunes review, we always appreciate that. Just go to the iTunes store, click on ratings and reviews, and uh, you can ask Matt how many gray hairs he actually has in his beard. I stopped counting. Now I just look for the dark ones. It's much easier. It's a, it's a much lower number. There you go. Um, you can also uh, set up a recurring donation if you want to, to help support the show at woodtalkshow.com. Look in the left-hand column. You'll see links where you could um, you can support us financially because that's what you want, right? Three grown men to support? Exactly. I mean, it's not at all like your children that are living with you right now. Yeah, who doesn't want that? 
And we'd like to thank Robert D. and someone who goes by the name of Positives for supporting us with a generous donation. Thanks very much. All right, so Matt, how about you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. All right, folks. Hey, if you ever have a comment, a question, or a topic suggestion, maybe like one we just covered today, you have several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com or leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And hey, if you're ever looking for the show notes or downloads from, say, today's show or previous episodes or future episodes even, you're going to find those over at wittalkshow.com. But I would wait till the future ones actually get published because they're very difficult to find. It's a good idea. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. I thought this was a great show and I look forward to doing more like this in the future. We'll catch you next time. See ya. See ya. This podcast is part of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there. 